We continue today with our series, Stranger Stories, where we look at the unusual stories of the Bible. All right? Strange and unexpected events. <laughs> but they all have meaning because every single story in the Bible is there for a purpose. Even the strange ones that we are looking at this month. Amen? Well, good morning, church. Good morning to everyone online. My name is Valdir Dasol. For those of you who don't know me, and it's good to be together with you again this morning. And today I'm going to dive in and start off by reading the strange story. Instead of giving the background first and then reading it, I'm going to go ahead and read the story. Be warned, the story contains violent content. So you might want to close the ears of the little ones. No? Okay. Um, and uh, the reading starts with the prophet Elisha in Jericho. Now, in the Old Testament, there are a number of very well-known prophets that did great things, but these two, we kind of tend to get them mixed up. You get Elijah and Elisha. Elijah came first. Okay, they're both Eli something. Elijah and Elisha. How do I know Elijah came first? Easy, because J comes before S in the alphabet. Now you know, okay. So Elijah lived first, and then Elisha took on the mantle, the prophetic mantle from Elijah. Elijah mentored him, and uh, Elisha took over the mantle. And uh, he went to a town called Jericho, and this is where we're going to pick up the story. He goes into Jericho. The people have now realized that this man now has taken over the prophetic mantle from Elijah. And so they approach him and acknowledge and recognize him as a prophet. And this is what happens. We're going to the book of Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 2. And we're reading from verses 19 to 25. So then the people of the city said to Elisha, the people of the city of Jericho, said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, to the source of the river. And he threw the salt into it saying, this is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day according to the word that Elisha had spoken. Now, that right there is a strange story. It's not today's strange story, by the way, but right there, that's a strange story by itself, okay? Because you see, that the land had become bad. You'll have to go back in history. When Joshua, Joshua crossed the Jordan with Israel, Jericho had been standing against Israel. So Joshua cursed the city of Jericho. And that city became, the water became bad. That city was destroyed. And if you read the history, that curse that Joshua put upon that city came true. And now what happened, this is now generations later, they've kind of rebuilt the city, but the water is still bad. They can't do anything with it. They can't plant, they can't drink, it's useless. And so the city is lying there, a city with great potential. And so Elisha comes and he heals that water. All right? So that story is strange, but that's what happened. But then a stranger story follows. Verse 23. From there, from Jericho, Elisha went up to Bethel. And as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. The King James Version says that little children came out and called out, Go up, Baldhead. Go up, Baldhead. And all the bald guys in the house said, mm-mm. Verse 24, Elisha, he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Okay. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. I warned you, there's violent content in this story. 
two bears came out and mauled 42 of the boys. And Elisha went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. End of story. <laughs> wow. Guys, this is part two of Stranger Stories in the, in the season, two, season two of the series. And uh, today's message is called uh, Furry Vengeance. Furry Vengeance. What pictures do you have in your mind after hearing that story? I wonder. I, I wonder if I, could, if I could look into your brains and see the pictures. I wonder what are you imagining? Are you imagining, you know, like our Sunday school kids kind of coming out and, oh, Baldi, Baldi, and then these bears come and destroy them, you know. My God, how can you do this? Old kids just, just playing, they're just being stupid. Uh, and you see, sometimes when, when you just read the word, you see some things kind of get lost in translation because of the language, and, and some things get lost as well because of cultures. And I'm going to try and give you a little bit of background so that you can have a better understanding of this passage. And then I'm going to share with you some characteristics that we need to know about God. We need to know who our God is. What is the character of our God, the God of the Bible, the God we claim to believe in and we claim to serve. We need to know who this God is. And this God has revealed himself to us in his word and through his word. Over many years, consistently, he has revealed himself who he is, what his character is like. And we need to know those things before we filter this story through all that. And then I'm going to give you some lessons that we learn because this thing which happened so long ago in a different era, in a different stage of history, has bearing upon you and I today. Amen? So hang on, okay? Stay with me as we go through this. Well... Let's start by looking, first of all, at the prophet, at the prophet. You know, when you read the Old Testament, especially Kings and, and, and Chronicles, you hear about all these prophets, Samuel and so on. You see, at that time, at that time, you know, when we, when we think of the word prophet, we think, oh, yeah, prophet, someone who can kind of see the future or foretell the future. And we kind of bring that kind of idea right un until today. <laughs> there are some people, they chase after men who call themselves prophets. They go after them, oh, prophet, prophet, tell me, uh, who must I marry? Uh, where must I buy my house? Uh, should I do this? And, and they want these people to foretell the future. Now listen, sometimes, listen to me, sometimes there is an element of foretelling. But prophet back in the day, a prophet was the voice of God to the people. Look, today, you and I, we've got the Bible. We've got many translations of the Bible. We can go back and read the Bible in its original language and look at translations. We, you can read the Bible in our own language. We can Google anything we want and find any passage we want very quickly. We have no excuse not to know what the Word of God says. Because we've got the complete book. It's been given to us. It's been handed over to us. The Word of God, the revelation of God. But back in the day, the Bible didn't exist. It was still being written. It was still being developed. By the time Jesus came to earth, the Old Testament had been finished, was finished. Jesus himself studied from the Old Testament, and he never questioned the writings of the Old Testament, which indicates to us that the Old Testament is the word of God. All right? It's true. We can believe that. And then Jesus brought in the new covenant, and out of the new covenant came the New Testament with the Gospels, Acts, and the letters of the apostles, and Revelation, prophetic events of the end times. So today we've got the complete kind of revelation of God given by the old prophets and the apostles, and so we know it's been written down for us. What we need to know about God is in the Word of God. And by going back to the Word of God, we can understand a little bit more of who our God is. And so the fact is the prophet in those days, he was the guy that spoke the Word of God. And so he was an important person in the community. He was trusted. 
And people came to the prophets to hear what, what is God saying. When the kings wanted to make decisions, they would go to the prophet. Is it time to attack? Must we hold back? What should we do? The prophets as well, at that time, they were a holy pain in the neck. Because they kept walking around and saying, you are sinning, you are sinning, you are sinning. People of Israel, what is wrong with you? Return to God. Because the people of Israel, although Moses had given them the written law of God and told them exactly how to behave, what to do, what not to do, what to believe, what not to believe. The people of Israel continue to slip away and do what God did not want them to do. And so the prophets would come. And sometimes these prophets would be killed. They would be stoned. They would be chased away. Why? Because people don't want to be accountable. People don't want to be told that they are wrong. People don't want to be told what to do. Especially when they are enjoying what they are doing. Hello? And here comes the man of God. You are sinning. Repent. Turn back to God. Or something is going to happen to you. Ah, get out of here. And... This is what's happening in a way here as well, okay? So the prophet, he's the voice of God at the time. And so Elisha, he had been trained under Elijah. And uh, one day they're walking and Elijah says, look, you know that I'm going to be going away soon. What, what wish do you have? And Elijah says, Elijah, I want a double portion of your anointing. Elijah says, Boyki, that is a big ask. That's a very difficult one. But I'll tell you what, if you are, if you, if you dare when I go, if you see me going, then you will get that double anointing. And from that day on, Elisha stuck to him like white on rice. He wouldn't take Elijah out of his sight. And one day, they're walking along. Here comes a chariot of fire from heaven and picks up Elijah. And off they go into the air. And, and Elisha is like watching all this. Wow. And as Elisha goes up, his mantle, his cloak falls. Boom. So Elijah, Elisha runs, picks up the cloak, says, I wonder, I watch him go, I wonder if I've got his anointing. And so he walks up to the Jordan River because they had just crossed the Jordan River. Him and Elisha, they just crossed the Jordan River. You know how they crossed? Elijah took his cloak and he hid the water. The water opened up, they walked on dry land, and they're walking, and now comes the chariot. So Elisha says, I wonder if I can do it too. So he took the cloak, he walks back to the Jordan, hits the water with the cloak, and vrachtis, the water opens up. And off he goes, like us, man, this works. This is wonderful. And the people of Jericho, some of the guys of Jericho, they're watching this. He says, hey, I wonder, maybe, maybe he's got it. Maybe he is. And at first they didn't believe him. They still took three days trying to find Elijah and so on. But eventually Elisha told him, listen, that's it. I am me. Elijah's gone. I'm the next one. He says, okay, then come. Help us out. We've got a water problem here in the city. And so Elisha fixed their water problem. And then he made his way to Bethel. Hmm. Now Bethel. <laughs> Bethel, Bethel, Bethel. You know what Bethel means? Bethel comes out of two words. It's, it's, it's Bethel. We, we say Bethel, but actually Bethel. It means house of God. Bethel, house of God. It's the place where, where, where Jacob had the dream and he saw the stairway to heaven. Twice the Lord spoke to him there. At one stage, the Ark of the Covenant was housed in Bethel. And Bethel became known as a place where God spoke to people. Where That's why they call the house of God. God is here. God speaks to us here. And Bethel became this place where people could meet God. But then one day, the kingdom of Israel got split into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom, he said, you know what, guys? Told these people, why must we go down to Jerusalem to pray? We can pray right here. And Bethel, house of God, we're going to pray right here. But you know what he did? He built a calf, a golden calf. And he put a golden calf in Bethel. And he says, people, this is the God that saved you from Egypt. We shall worship over here. And he put one in Bethel, and the little town, Dorpi, down the road, Dan, he put one there as well. But he says, Bethel, this is our main place of worship. Why must we get down to Jerusalem? Just because we've got a temple over there? We are here. The house of God is here. We've got the coffee. Come, let us worship here. And would you believe it? The people of Israel, of the northern kingdom, began to worship the stupid cough. 
what is this with Israelites and calves? I mean, when Moses went up to get the commandments, they also had someone of a calf or cow or bull or something, and they were worshiping that thing. You know what it is? Egyptian residue. These guys spent 400 years in Egypt, remember, as slaves. And, and they were worshiping their God, but something of Egypt rubbed off on these guys, and it became easier for them to worship idols than to worship the true living God. Because the true living God is invisible. You can't see him. He's spirit. Where idols, you can see them, you can touch them, or you can replicate them, you can make hundreds of them. You can have them hanging around your neck in your pocket. You can have them wherever you want. You can take them with you wherever you go. An idol is so... Hmm? And so these guys continuously would go back and start worshiping idols. And God would come and punish them. And they wake up and go back to God and then back to idols and back to God. Well, this time when Jeroboam created these idols, the people started worshiping them and worshiping them and worshiping them. They wouldn't go down to Jerusalem anymore. Jerusalem was part of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And so for generations, the people kept on worshiping the idol at Bethel. And prophets went there, different prophets. Elijah himself had gone there. To point a finger at them and say, hey, you, repent. Repent. Judgment's going to come upon you. And judgment did come a number of times. We might, we might look at one of those stories still in the series, one of those weird stories that happened there. But the people would, for a moment, they would repent and then quickly slip back into worshiping the golden calf. And so, Elisha... He takes over the mantle from Elijah. So one of his first things, as soon as he went past Jericho and he healed the water, first thing he does, on his way to Bethel. What do you think he's going to do at Bethel? He's going to point a finger at them and accuse them of idolatry and call them to repentance. Okay, so that's the background. He's on his way to Bethel, and Bethel is a city where the whole city is bent on idolatry. There are a few people. They're called sons of the prophets. Very few people who still worship the living God quietly, privately. But as a whole, the people of Bethel, the people of the house of God, remember, are worshiping idols. Involved in idol worship and, and, and sexual immorality because that always went to the idols. Illicit sexual activities and so on. So these guys are involved in that kind of stuff. And Elisha, of course, is on his way there. So who are these youngsters then? Who were they? And why were they doing this? As I said when I read that passage, the King James Version calls them little children. The NIV, as we read, says some boys. The American Standard Version says some lads who said, go up, thou bald head. Now, as I said, the problem we have here is a language problem and a cultural problem. You know, as much as the translators do their best to bring from Hebrew to English or whatever language they're translating into, sometimes things get lost in translation. And this is one of those instances. I'm going to show you what the Hebrew word is for, for youngsters. Though those youngsters that the Bible talks about, youngsters or little children, it is two Hebrew words. They are katan na'ar. Katan na'ar. There you go. Now you know some Hebrew, okay? When you want to call your little child, say katan na'ar. Katan na'ar. And kids must listen and come quickly, okay? Because that's what it means, all right? Katan na'ar. Katan means small in quantity, in size, in number, in age, or in status of importance. So if somebody has no real importance, you can call him a katan, okay? If somebody is very short, you can call him katan. Just don't use it on me, okay? Yeah, yeah, I can read your minds, I know. Now, na'ar, na'ar means boy or girl, but it also means servant, young man, and it is a word that can cover a range of ages from infant to young adult. How many of you are 35 and under? Don't be ashamed. There you go, lots of you. Well, you're all na'ars. I, 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 I'm just over the Na'ar, just over a little bit the Na'ar stage. So, 
when you go back to the Bible and you look for this combination, where is Katan Naari used in the Old Testament around about that same time, around about that same place in that language? It's interesting. We find that these words are used uh, uh, in, in the Old Testament. For example, there's a, a guy called Haddad. This guy, he used to be in Solomon's kingdom. He, he ran away. <laughs> he ran away from Solomon's kingdom and he went to Egypt and he married Pharaoh's sister. But you know what the Bible calls this guy? Katanar. It says, this guy yeah, is called uh, Hadad. Hadad the Katanar. He left Solomon and went to Egypt and, and married. So this guy was not a little child, was he? Huh? A young adult. He was a guy who could make his own decisions. Now, by the way, remember back in those days, children reached adulthood younger than today. Today, kids take a long time to grow up. And all their parents started shaking their heads very carefully because they don't want their teenage kids to watch them shaking their heads. But today, you know, we go through infancy and childhood and junior and senior and, and teenage, 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 into your 20s and 30s. And, and then somewhere around 40 or so, you start maturing and around about 50, you become an adult. <laughs> Back in those days, by the time you are 11, 12, you are part of society. They inducted you, you became a young man, a young girl, and that's it. I mean, Mary was a teenager when she got pregnant with Jesus, but she was already, you know, espoused to Joseph. She was already engaged, and she was probably 12, 13, 14, round about there. And people started life very early. Young boys would start life very early, working. Look at, look at David. He was the youngest of the lot. Where was he? Out in the field, looking after sheep and everything else. Plus, now and then, dealing with a lion or two, you know, and stuff like that. Minor things. And so these two things work together. Where children matured quickly, but also they took on more responsibility. But the fact is, this, this katanaar implies in this situation, young boys, young adults who knew what they were doing. They were not all kids playing around. They were not all kids having fun at the old man with the bald head. Uh-uh. They knew who this man was. They knew what Elisha was about to say and do. And they didn't want one more finger. They had enough of prophets. They want to do their own thing. They like their golden calf. They like what they're doing around the golden calf. They like their lifestyle. They don't want this old man to come and tell them that they are wrong. That they are sinning. Huh? It is safe to assume these youngsters were not Innocent children, but young men old enough to know what they were doing. Amen? All right. So as Elisha is trying to make his way to Bethel, this large group of young men, we don't know how many they were. The Bible says that the bed took out 42 of them, but there were more than 42. Could have been 100, more. There's just a whole, you know, gang of them. The whole demonstration coming down the road and, and blocking Elisha from getting to Bethel. But let's look at the insult. It's not about his boldness. Look what they said. They said, go away. Get out of here, baldy. In the King James and others, says, go up, baldhead, go up. Get out of here, baldy. What are they saying? It's got nothing to do with the baldness. That is your minimum insult. Actually, back in those days, it was an insult to call somebody bald. It was, it was a nice thing to say, okay? But bald has got nothing to do with it. They say, baldy, go up. What are you referring to? Elisha. They had heard. By now they had heard that Elisha had gone up. And when they heard about it, it says, yay, it's gone. It's gone. We don't have to put up with that guy anymore. Now Elisha comes along and says, no way. No, no, come on. No, not another one. Hey, Elisha, go up. Get out of here. What, the, what were they saying? Go and die, man. Your predecessor is gone. We want you. Gone as all. Get out of here. Go die. We don't want to hear your stories. We don't want to hear your accusations. We don't want you to come and point a finger at us. We don't want to hear about your God and what your God says. Just, just get out of here. We don't want you. Do you understand? Can you see what's actually happening? Elisha is being confronted by a bunch of hostile young men who want him dead. He's on his own. 
There are dozens of these guys. What would you do? If you find yourself in that situation with a bunch of hostile, hostile, young, strong men wishing you were dead and probably ready to fulfill their own prophecy. It's an insult. And the behavior of these young men shows that they were enemies of God. And so when Elisha sees this going on and this tumult going on and this, these voices crying out, all the things like he feels threatened, he sees this happening to him, what does he do? He cursed them. And the Bible doesn't say what he said. We don't know how he cursed them. And you might find strange, how can a man of God curse somebody? Again, remember, we are living in a different era. We are living in the time of the law where peoples were different. They were hostile. And, and where the law was what guided, the, even the people of God were guided by the law. You do this and this happens. You don't do this and that happens. And God was using Israel and his law to show the other people around his power and his truth. And it was working because people knew about the God of Israel. Both his anger and his blessings. Because whenever the people of God obeyed God, they were extremely blessed and they became the envy of the other nations. But when the people of God disobeyed God, they were punished. And it put fear in the other people, put fear of their God. And so we don't know what Elisha said. He could have said, hey, the Lord deal with you. I don't know. Or maybe he could have quoted David. David was a good one to express his feelings towards the enemies of God. Let me show you a few examples. Psalm, 29, Psalm, Psalm 92, David says, For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Now, isn't that what you feel like doing sometimes with your enemies? Those guys that are stealing from you or cheating on you or, or, or upsetting you or just messing up your, your job, you know, you want to get a promotion. Some guy does something stupid. You want to do business and, you know, people go wrong and people don't help you. And sometimes, you know, and I wish I was in the Old Testament. I could say some things. This is a different age right now, okay? We're in the time of grace, but that was back then. Look at what David said in Psalm 68.1. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. So I don't know. Is that maybe what Elisha said? Or what about this one? Psalm 143.12. In your mercy, O God, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul for I am your servant. Yeesh. Imagine if we were allowed to make those prayers today about the people we don't like. I don't think we would have a population problem in the world, would we? On the other hand, I wonder how many of us would still be here, okay? <laughs> so, anyway, so thank God that age is past. But I want you to understand the reality of those times and how things worked back then. So, Elisha, he calls, he curses them. I don't know if he quoted David or something else, but he did. And then the bears came. Only two bears. Only two. Mother bear. Mother bears, no how. You know, a bear is bad, but a mother bear is ten times worse. Because mother's bears are protective of the little ones. I don't know if they're little ones nearby, but man, they came. Now the question is, did those 42 die? Because the Bible doesn't say. It just says she mauled them. But do you know that people can be mauled by bears and live to tell the tale? There are plenty of stories. You can go and Google it. Plenty of, just out of interest sake. I thought, I wonder if people get mauled, die, and I found out they don't. A lot of them survive. They can get mauled badly, but they still survive. And because these two, they came and they just lashed out at these guys, and there were 42 of them, it's quite possible. That she just hurt them all, but didn't kill anyone. And if it is one bear and one person, that's different. The bear has time to enjoy and savor every piece. But when you're surrounded by people, they're just slashing out and hurting. And so it's quite possible, people, that those 42 boys did not die. We don't know. Were there 42 funerals in Bethel or less than 42? We don't know. 
But it is possible that they survived. And, and here's the reason why this is considered a possibility. Because if you read, if you remember the last verse, what does Elisha do after the bear attack? Does he go on to Bethel? No. He goes to Carmel. Carmel is back down again. He was going up to Bethel and he goes all the way down to Carmel and then all the way to Samaria. He never reaches Bethel. Why? Because he's got 42 people. Or at least the others who were watching what happened to 42 people. Those youngsters are going to go back to Bethel. And you're going to tell everybody what the God of Elijah did. Because of their sin. They're going to be witnesses in Bethel. That God, the God of Israel, the God of Elijah, the God of they are supposed to worship. Is angry at them because of their idolatry. Because they're not worshiping God. And because of that, that was punished. And they better be prepared because more could come. So Elisha sent his message. The message was there. Now, obviously, this was not Elisha's doing. And this is what's difficult maybe for us to understand. This is God doing it. Elisha, he just spoke a word and he pulled back. There's nothing he could do against his 22 boys. But God allowed these two bears to come out and deal with 42 of them. Specifically. So, to process the story, and other, other stories like it, we need to know some truths about God. And so here we go. I'm going to look at three things we need to know about God. Number one, God is just. Okay? God is just. Why am I saying this? Because the minute you read a story, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, that's so unfair. A shame. Little children. Innocent little children being mauled by a bear. Wasn't God maybe overreacting? I've just told you, Bethel had been sinning against God for decades. For generations. Again and again and again and again. And these little children were not little children. They were young adults who fully knew what they were doing it. And they were doing conscientiously knowing that they are defending their idolatry and going against the God of Elisha, the true God of Israel. Psalms 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. That is who God is. He is a just and righteous God. His loving and his faithfulness go before him. So it was not God lashing out at some innocent, naughty children, but God bringing justice. Upon young men who willingly and for a long time have been rejecting the word of God. And let that be a warning to us. Because sometimes we take a path in life and we start rejecting the word of God. We start finding excuses to reject the word of God like these guys are doing at Bethel. Listen, vengeance, judgment, and punishment are used interchangeably when God brings judgment upon the people who disobey him. Jeremiah 11.20 says, But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for, you, for to you I have committed my cause. Have you seen that? In that verse here, righteousness, vengeance, they all go together. So God isn't, doesn't vengeance because he's upset with you, but because he's righteous. He gives time. He waits. He warns. He instructs. He gives a chance, another chance, another chance. But eventually judgment must take place. Vengeance takes place. And when it happens, it gets ugly. Number two. God is slow to anger. Numbers chapter 14 verses 18, the first part says, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. The Lord is slow to anger. That's his nature. That's his nature. So it was not the first time that these young men had sinned. No. It wasn't the first time that Bethel had sinned. No way. 
God is slow to anger. He had been warning them. These guys had been warned over and over again. Dad or Elijah, probably even other prophets. They knew the word of God. They had been warned over and over and over and over again. So it was that God lost it one day. No, he's slow to anger. But that doesn't mean that he's a cutoff, cutoff point where he brings judgment. But you also need to understand this. Point number three, God is serious. God is slow to anger, yes, but God is also serious. And I don't mean here that God never smiles, okay? I, at one stage in my childhood, I, I thought God was this old man with a long beard and always a cross face, you know? God. No, no, no. He's, 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 he smiles, all right? When I say he's serious, I mean God means business. God means business, all right? Numbers 14, 18, the full verse says this. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet, listen, yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Huh? He punishes the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. Sin has consequences. Your sins have consequences upon your children and their children. And God's not going to stop it. You'll allow it to happen. Because we continue to sin. These guys continue to sin. So God says, you know what? I'm patient. I've warned. But if you're not changed, tough. Just go your way. You're going to get what you've been asking for. That's what you want. So here we go. And then judgment comes. Okay? So it means that God takes sin seriously. God has limits for you and for me. In the Old Testament... Because God was dealing and shaping a nation through which he was going to reveal himself to the world, we see periodic demonstrations of his vengeance and of his judgments. That was the dispensation of the law. Yet the people did not learn. Over and over, they kept going back to other gods. Go and read further. You think that Bethel would be changed after this bear attack. No ways. They went back to idolatry again. And other prophets had to come. And things got worse in Bethel until eventually you don't hear about Bethel anymore. It was still there, but you don't read about it anymore. In fact, there is no mention of Bethel in the New Testament. Go and take a look. New Testament does not mention Bethel, the house of God, not once. Because of the sin of Bethel. In fact, one of the, uh, the, the prophets... Later on, called Bethel, Beth-Avon, which means house of wickedness. That's how bad it got. Yeah, that we cut off. Now, today, we are in the dispensation or the period of grace. We are in the church age. Since man could not keep God's commandments, Jesus came to die for our sin. So that by faith in him, in the one who kept the commandments, the one who was righteous, by faith in him, we can take upon him us, his righteousness, just like he took upon himself our sins. And by faith in him, and then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to be changed, to become more and more like Jesus. It's still our choice. But thank God that today God is not going around periodically bringing judgment on people. Otherwise, again, like I said, the population wouldn't be so great in the world. All right? So it's not by our perfect works that we get to be right with God. But it's by putting our faith in the one who is perfect. Amen? So praise God we don't have those dramatic displays of power that we see in the Old Testament. Thank God that he's a patient God. Thank God that he's slow to anger. I don't know about you, but me, myself, personally, I am very grateful that God is slow to anger. Thank you. And that he's patient with moi. Okay? So that's what we need to understand about God. Now, the battle with idolatry continues with us still today. And there is an appointed time when God will judge this world for the sins of idolatry. And so we need to stay alert and obey the word of the Lord. So here are three lessons for us as well out of the story. Number one, God's people will receive ridicule. You see, Joshua, he was a man of God. He was trying to follow the way of the Lord and he got ridiculed. And guess what? You try and follow the Lord. You try and do the will of God. And somewhere along the line, somebody is going to ridicule you as well. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are you when people insult you or 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when people persecute you, remember Elisha, remember the other prophets who some even got killed because they were proclaiming the word of the Lord. If you are trying to live a life of holiness and biblical standards and think that you're going to be loved by everybody, wake up, my brother, my sister. The world does not like us. They can put up with us. But the minute we start talking about the, the, the laws of God, the standards of God and biblical worldviews, they shut us out very quickly. Amen. But now listen, just as the prophet was mocked and jeered, we can expect the world to do the same. But note that it was not the world, it was not the Gentiles mocking the prophet. It was his own people, the people from Bethel, the people from the house of God were mocking the man who was trying to do the will of God. Listen, when you are seeking holiness, don't be surprised when you receive ridicule from people who are close to you. Not everyone in the house of God are people of God. Huh? Yeah. Churches may have lots of people today sitting there, but not everyone sitting in church today really truly mean business with God. They enjoy coming, they enjoy the the uplifting sermons, you know, the motivational sermons. Oh, God is good. God's going to bless you. God's going to give you money. God's going to give you health. And so many churches, that's all they talk about these days, the goodness of God, all the sweet things about God. And God has lots of good and sweet things. But God is also righteousness and, judge, and judgment and justice. We need to understand the fullness of God and align our lives to him, not the other way around. People today, including many Christians, they want to align God according to their own wish and desires. When you form your own image of God in your head, you are actually committing idolatry because that image in your head is not who God is. You are bowing down to a false image in your head. You are practicing idolatry. Hmm? And so be prepared that by seeking to live a holy life, you may receive ridicule. Number two, beware of the sin of idolatry. I've just mentioned that. And it is so easy for us as Christians to slowly slip into idolatry by excusing our behavior, excusing what we do, excusing our failures, excusing our weaknesses, excusing our sins. Lord, I know you don't want me to do this, but you know, Lord, you know. Yeah. Well, when you are massaging the word of God, when you're panel beating the word of God to suit you, you are committing the sin of idolatry. And God doesn't like that. So this sin is still very much allowed today, even in the church. You see, Bethel wanted to remain in their idolatry, worshiping false gods and practicing sexual immorality. And it is scary to see how many Christians are embracing a worldly lifestyle today and turning their backs on the values and morals of the Lord. Sometimes you look at the person you don't know. Is he a Christian or isn't he? Because he talks like a Christian, but he doesn't behave like a Christian. He doesn't look like a Christian. He doesn't act like a Christian, but he says he's a Christian. Oh, so confusing sometimes. They believe in Jesus as Savior, but they will not follow what he taught. Yet Jesus said, we must believe in him, yes, and do what he taught us. The Great Commission is about go, preach the gospel, yes, Baptize those who believe, yes, and teach them to obey. That difficult word sometimes, you know, obey what I've commanded you. That is what a disciple is. And so God speaks and we want to follow him. But then friends or family have another perspective, another view, another opinion. And, and we don't want to upset our families and our friends, you know, and we don't want to lose that relationship and and so we go along with them and we don't do what the Lord said. That is idolatry. When you're putting anything else above God and his word and his will. And listen, people, although God is slow to anger, the fact is that a day is coming where there will be a judgment and everyone will have to give an account. You and I included. 
You may get away with a lot in this life. <laughs> you may not even get caught or even get punished for the things that you're doing that you know that God doesn't like. But the day of judgment will come. The Bible says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So today, he's got his arms wide open. He's come on, repent, come to me. I want to spend eternity with me. Come, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's change things. But then the day is going to come where the time is going to be ended. Time of grace is going to come to an end. Now it's judgment time. And now we have to give an account. You see, God's slowness in judging the world is actually an act of love, giving time so people can repent. Second Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says the following, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, say everyone, everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And any of you have an experience with thieves, you know they don't send you a warning. My experience with thieves, they just happen. When I found out, they've been there. <laughs> the day of the Lord is coming like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, will be exposed. Judgment. So know this. How are we to act? What are we to do? And that's point number three. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Second Peter chapter 3, 11 to 13. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you and I to be? Okay, how shall we behave? You ought to live holy and godly lives. That's God's invitation to us. Live holy and godly lives. And if God asks you to do something, it's because you can do it. And you know why you can do it? Because it's going to be right there with you in the person of the Holy Spirit, day by day, to enable you and I to do it. God, we saw just now, He's just. His fear is never going to ask us to do something that we are not able to do. If he asks you to do something, it's because he's right there, ready to enable you by his power to do it. Amen? God's demands on our lives are sometimes crazy. Impossible sometimes. If we try and do it on our own. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to help us, man, we can do it. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sin. Where we can live in peace and in righteousness with God. But to get there, it starts here by living a godly life here. And just a quick comment, in verse 12, where it says, The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. For many years, Santa said, the Bible is a book of myths. How can the elements burn? The elements could never burn. And they mocked and they laughed at the Bible until they invented the atomic and the cobalt bomb. And they stopped laughing. Because they realized that just like this, the elements around us can burn and disappear. Go and look at pictures of Hiroshima after the atomic bomb. That thing just vaporized, man. And so they stopped laughing because they realized, hey, God is powerful. This earth is going to be changed like this. It's going to be a new earth, a new heaven. And we are going to live in it with the Lord. Amen? But to get there, starts here. You see... A lot has changed since the days of Elisha in terms of developments and science and fashion and, and so on. But not much has changed in the attitude of people's hearts. That continues to repeat itself. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 2 to 4. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. And the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Huh? Scoffing and following their own evil desires. Now, there have always been scoffers throughout history from the time of the prophets. But guys, the day we are living in, 
Look around, become aware. There is so much scoffing against Christianity, against the Bible, against the values of the Bible, the models, the worldview, the principles of the word of God. We are being called all sorts of names as followers of Jesus Christ. Intolerant and legalistic and all sorts of stuff. Why? Because they are scoffing. They are following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Come on, 2,000 years have gone past. Where is your Jesus who said he was coming back soon? Where is? Nah. And they scoff and they mock and becoming more and more ridiculous. And for you to follow Christ going forward is going to be a challenge. You have to know what you believe in. That's why I'm trying to give you a lot of feedback and background over here. Because you are living in those days. Days of scoffing and mocking. If you think they would do it bad towards Elisha, it's nothing compared to what's coming, to what's happening even right now. So how are we to live holy and godly lives? Not on our own strength, but by surrendering our lives to Jesus and having a relationship with him. It's not a matter of just keeping rules. It's a matter of having a relationship with Jesus. Amen? And let him speak to us and guide us and show us the way. So let us acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. And let us conscientiously renew our commitment to reject idolatry and be disciples of Jesus who believe in him and endeavor to obey him in everything he has taught us. Listen, Elisha was on a mission for God. And as followers of Christ, we are on a mission too. Elisha understood that he was on a mission with God. Not just for God, but with God. He understood that the mob was opposing God and God's truth and not just Elisha. And when you get opposed, understand that too. You are in a mission with God. He is with you, watching over you, preparing the way for you. Do you understand that sometimes you may get opposition too? And the opposition is not against you. It's against what you believe. It's against your God, against your values. It is God who cleansed the water in Jericho. It is God who removed the curse from that land. It is God who chose to send bears to the opponents of Elisha. It was not Elisha's power or success that caused him to have this and many other strange experiences. It was God through Elisha, as he obeyed God and followed his orders. Elijah, Elisha, and others were merely vessels of God. Will you be a vessel of God too? Are you prepared to pay that price, to make that commitment? You can have communion now. I'm going to ask the ashes to distribute the communion sets and Communion is open to everyone. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you are a born-again child of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to participate in communion, you are welcome. Just pick up one when it comes past. If you just want to watch, and that's, that's, that's fine too. You don't, you're, not, you're not forced to have communion, okay? But communion is a time of remembrance where we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We remember his death, burial, and resurrection. To pay the price of our sins. So that you and I, imperfect as we are, could be called children of God. So that you and I, in spite of our imperfections, can be perfected through the work of Jesus in us. You can go ahead, please, and distribute while I'm talking, please, guys. So through Jesus, you know, through his work, he is changing us. Carry on, carry on, please. Carry on, distribute while I'm talking, please. And so... I want you to understand that. And as we have communion today, let us remember that. Let us remember that. um, I've got one. Thank you. Let us remember who we are, what our mission is. Maybe it's a good time for us to reflect a little bit today and say, ask yourself, are you maybe carelessly committing the sin of idolatry? You see, we live in this world and, and, and life happens. Life happens. By the way, as soon as you get your set and you can carefully open, there's a top section for the bread and then the bottom section for the cup. If you have kids around you, you can help them. Then just now we're going to pray and we're going to have it together, okay? But ask yourself, you know, because we we live in this world and, and sometimes we just get caught up 
in what the people say. Our colleagues at work, what we hear in the news, and, and sometimes we hear news that's not so nice, and we feel very upset, and then we say things, and we think things we shouldn't say or think as a Christian. And, and if you're not careful, slowly but surely we get pulled into ways of thinking which are not biblical. We begin to embrace a worldly worldview instead of a biblical worldview. And so maybe now it's a good time just to say, Lord, forgive me. As, as I take of the bread, I remember your broken body for me. As I, as I take, as I drink of the wine, I, I remember your blood. And, and by the way, if you've got kids, this is not real wine, okay? This is grape juice. It's juice, so it's safe for kids, okay? Uh, so it's fine. Um, and you can just say, Lord, help me. Help me to be a man and a woman of God, to follow you. Allow the Lord to cleanse you. So it was God who did those things through Elisha because Elisha was working with God. And so <clears throat> if your friends doubt you, don't despair. If a crowd mocks you, don't be afraid. If a village wants a miracle, well, just go along and pray and trust God, okay? Don't doubt God. And if a stranger asks you a question about Jesus, don't hesitate to give them an answer. Oh, pastor, but I'm not a theologian. You're a believer. Whatever you know, pass on. Whatever we have, give to others. You don't have to know everything about God before you tell someone something about Jesus. Just, just tell them what you know, what you've experienced. Amen? Speak life. Speak life. And remember, God is with you in this mission. Amen? Okay? Let's stand up as we take part in communion. Okay, just hold your breath and let us pray. Lord, we thank you. As we take part in communion today, as we have this piece of bread in our hand, we remember your body. And remember the night, Jesus, when you took bread and you broke it and you said, take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. And you know, Father, this is just a piece of bread, but it reminds us of your body, which was punished. And you took upon yourself our punishment, Lord, so that we could be free today, Lord. So I pray, Lord, as we take this bread today, I pray for healing, I pray for restoration, and I thank you, Father God, for your goodness upon your people, Lord. Remind us, Lord, who you are, and help us to serve you and you alone, our only God. In Jesus' name, amen. Take and eat and be blessed. Hold the cup as we pray. After having the bread, Jesus took a cup and he prayed and he gave thanks to it. And he said, take and drink all of it. It's part of the new covenant which he did with us. So Lord, we thank you for this reminder of the blood of Jesus which was poured out for us. For our forgiveness, for our restoration, oh God. That we who were far from God, we who had committed so many things against God, we who so often... <laughs> have a tendency to ignore your word. Through the blood of Jesus, we can come near, Lord. It's not about the good things we've done. It's about the good thing that Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And as we drink of this cup, Lord, let there be restoration, restitution, forgiveness, my God, upon your people. And Lord, forgive us for the times we have committed the sin of idolatry. The times we have put other things before you, God. The things we've chosen to spend time in other things when you should have been spending time with you. The choices we made to please people instead of making choices to please you. Forgive us, O oh Lord. The times we choose our own comfort instead of obedience. Forgive us, Lord. The times we, we, we choose not to stand up for what you say in your word because we don't want to be mocked or embarrassed. Forgive us, Lord. And help us to stay on mission with you, Lord. Even if it means being mocked for your sake. But today, we remember and we thank you for what you did for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. Amen. Drink of the cup of blessing.
Mm. Praise the Lord. Well, folks, I trust you have been challenged and that you've learned something this morning from the strange, strange story. I trust you understand the righteousness of God and why this happened and the implication it has for us today. I hope you're going home with a different image in your head than you had when I finished reading the story. That it makes a bit more sense to you now. And it will alert us to stay faithful and obedient to God. So now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of you, those here present, those online, those listening, as we endeavor to live lives of holiness and obedience, pleasant to God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday. Have a great week. See you next week for another strange story. God bless you.